This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. In August 2018, Christian Ramirez was traded from Minnesota United to LAFC. His playing career had come full circle and brought him back to where he was born. But his path to the top of American soccer was a wild one. He grew up in Southern California where he played as a center midfielder throughout his youth career. It wasn't until he arrived at UC Santa Barbara for his freshman season that things started to get a little rocky. And that's also when Christian started to question whether or not he was in the right environment that was going to help him achieve his goals. What he did next started a ripple effect that he is still benefiting from today. So in this interview, he and I discuss his playing career and pick apart some of the finer details. He shares some stories about why he decided to leave one of the top D1 men's college programs in the country, what he did with his last $200 and how that decision affected his entire career, and how Minnesota repaid him after he was dropped to third on their depth chart. Christian is enjoying life back in Los Angeles and playing for his new coach, Bob Bradley, but he knows that he must continue to learn and improve in order to keep his spot on the roster. And he knows that his wild ride isn't over yet. This episode of the 343 podcast is supported and funded by the 343 Premium Coaching Education Membership. So that program is one that I've actually been through and thousands of other coaches have been through. And if you are dedicated to your craft and you are serious about coaching soccer, this is the program that you want to be learning from. You actually get a chance to learn from one of the proven leaders in possession-based soccer coaching education in the United States. So if you are interested in taking your coaching to the next level, I highly, highly, highly suggest that you check it out. And if you are already a member, thank you, thank you, thank you so much, because we really appreciate you for helping us keep the lights on over here. All right. With that said, I hope that you enjoy this episode of the 343 Podcast with Christian Ramirez. The, uh, obviously the, the first thing I wanted to talk to you about is, uh, your return, your return to Southern California, because I think it's pretty obvious to to say that playing professionally in the United States was, you know, obviously a goal when you were, when you're growing up, but getting back to the place where you call home is, is pretty special. And I don't think a lot of people get a chance to do that here in the United States. So I'm, I'm curious you know, what that, what that really means to you and to your wife and to your baby and and to your family. But how, how does that feel to, to be back home? Um, it's sort of like come, coming full circle. Um, I've had a wild journey and I think at the stage that I'm at now, um, I think it's a perfect time for me to be able to manage being home. Um, especially with the little one, having uh, my parents around and her parents that can help out, um, and ease, some of that load, but um, I think if it was earlier on in my career, I don't think it would have been 
as good as it can be now um, because I've grown and matured and um, know who I am as a person and as a player and what I need to do on a weekly basis to get the best out of myself. Um, so it's sort of like coming full circle, being able to come home and hopefully um, this is the start of something that will continue for, for a long duration. You mentioned that you had kind of like a wild like a wild path to where you are now. Can you can you kind of describe maybe maybe if we start kind of at the beginning. So like where where you where you started playing soccer and and then we can kind of we can kind of pick apart the rest of the journey as we go. Yeah, well, um I had as a youth I had I had that D1 dream that um so many people had cuz homegrowns wasn't around at the time I think um by the time I was graduating high school there the first homegrown player was was signed and I, was, I think it was Tristan Bowen as the first ever um so that wasn't really um ever an option at the time that I was growing up but um made my way to UC Santa Barbara um felt like it was the most professional atmosphere just based off of like the um attendance numbers that they would get um, and how TVs were televised, uh, games were televised on TV for them at the time on Fox Soccer. Um, so that sort of drew me into them. Um, and I didn't really look at other aspects, uh, if I fit into the style of play or the coaching staff or stuff like that. Um, I just sort of wanted to play in front of a big crowd and um, thought that's what professional soccer was about. Um, and anybody who's, who's sort of heard my story knows that that wasn't really true. Uh, I moved around positions on the field, subbed on here and there. Um, finally, my sophomore year, uh, <clears throat> sorry, um, end of my freshman year, I I started playing um, as a forward in the spring and scored some goals. And I thought that was uh, thought that was my next position. And uh, after that, it, I wasn't really in the plans for the coach. Um, so. I had to, I had to route myself to a different, different direction uh, of an NIA school. Tell me, tell me a little bit about like that transition from you know high school or, or youth soccer to UCSB, and, and I'm, I'm the reason why I'm asking is because I'm curious if you, if you felt like college was the best route, or if you if you felt like you wanted to go pro. Like, did you already know at that time, like going from high school to college, that you wanted to be a pro and and like this was kind of just yeah, speed bump you had to um yeah like i said there wasn't really a, a route for homegrowns at the time that was like something set in stone um uh there was only one at the time and it was brand new um and my parents had always said look if you're gonna go pro it'll it'll happen um but we want you to be the first of our of our family to go into college and graduate from college so that was also a goal um at the time there was like a phase of in Southern California of European scouts coming and um, like taking guys to trial. And uh, it was a gray area of if it ruled out your NCAA eligibility. So I never did them. <clears throat> and I was always invited to them, um, but I was scared to lose that eligibility because um, I wanted to be the first in my family to go to, to college. And um, that was in the back of my mind. I always, had dreams of playing professionally. I just didn't know which route um, I was going to take. 
So when you make this jump from UCSB, which is you know a powerhouse school when it comes to when it comes to Division One soccer, you know national titles, they've hosted the they've hosted the national championship game. I don't know how many different times. The game against Cal Poly, you know, fifteen thousand students are you know in the stands throwing freaking tortillas at the field. It's kind of crazy, but um, and then you make the jump to an NAIA school. What was the decision-making process behind that, and, and how did you en- end up, you know, choosing the place that you ultimately le- landed? Sorry. Um, the decision sort of like fell on my lap in a way. Um, after Santa, after I got my release from Santa Barbara, um, I was in talks with several other D1 schools, um, and I was playing uh, in the summer with uh, PDL for for Orange County Blue Star and playing with different guys that, that were going to different schools, and they were trying to tell me to go to their school. And um, Mike Oseguera was a coach uh, on the Blue Star, and um, he saw that that I, I didn't really enjoy myself um, in the college game and that I was just, like, playing just to continue. I, I wasn't having fun anymore. I lost that, that like, love for the game and um, wasn't playing with any sort of joy. Um and he he talked to me about um, the school that he was coaching at, at the time was Concordia, um, and I knew the head coach from my youth days. Uh, he coached at the same club, uh, and they just said, "Look, uh, NAIA is a bit different. Um, there's less rules of how how much you can play, how much you can train. Um, I think it's something that'll benefit you. There's a lot of foreign guys that come play, um, and for me, I think it was the best route just because." Uh, I I sort of wasted a year and a half at UC Santa Barbara with not playing, not training much. Um, since there's so many rules and regulations you have to go by, um, that once I decided to go to Concordia, I was playing every weekend. I was training uh, twice a day. Um, I was working on aspects of my game that that needed to be worked on, and I think in the end it, it really helped fine tune my game um, for those last two years of college. Um, and it really, really put me up to speed to where I needed to be at. As a as a player going through the NAIA system, you obviously need to, you know, do something or ha- have a, a, a skill set that makes you stand out because you're not going that traditional route that the American player was going at that time. So what what do you think you either had at that time or that you developed during that time that made you stand out and, and was able to kind of catapult you into the next phase of, of your playing career? Uh, I knew <clears throat> this was my mindset going into the NAIA. My two seasons <clears throat> was there's one NAIA person drafted every year um, from my junior year, senior year, um, and the year before that. Um, and I was like, look, it's always the NAIA player of the year. For whatever reason, it doesn't matter where he comes from. It's the NAIA player of the year that gets a draft. Uh, so that was my goal. My goal was like, look, I'm going to be the NAIA player of the year, then I don't care how I'm doing it. And in my situation, my coaches were like, look, Kirsten, we're going to alleviate some some of your defensive duties that maybe you, you're not great at um, as, a, as a roaming midfielder. I'll put you up front because somehow you you always are in a good spot to to score a goal and you're always in the box scoring goals. So I was like, okay, I guess my my route is going to be I'm just going to score a bunch of goals and make noise that way. Um, 
and get recognized that way. And that's that's what I tried to do. I I tied the the record in goals at Concordia my first year, um, but we we fell short of the national title and I mean the the conference championship, so we didn't get into the tournament. Um, so I spent eight months uh, of the next season working towards that last final year of I need to show everyone and put up ridiculous numbers in order to get any any looks from any professional teams. Um, and that's how my mentality was. And once once I hounded on that mentality, uh, the results just started flowing. Um, in preseason, we, we played my senior year, we played UCLA and we tied UCLA. Um, in the spring, we, we played UCI and we beat UCI. Um, so it was a talented team that I was playing on. And it was just guys who didn't fit the D1 motto, guys who came from national championship JC teams. Um, so it was a, it was a good level and, um, the guys, the guys fit me really well. And, um, I wouldn't be here uh, without, without all of them. And they know them cause I, I keep in touch with all of them. Um, but they, they helped me get to where I'm at today and got me recognized at the national tournament when, um, got all American and scored a couple goals and, it earned me a couple of combine invites. That's that's how the far of of uh, having a record-breaking year got me was with two combine MLS invites and one USL invite. So obviously, you kind of you you had a goal of being player of the year for NAIA, and and you knew that that was going to be a fast track to to getting drafted. You'd seen that you'd seen that trend before. But that's not how things ultimately played out for you. So your your like you described it earlier is kind of like your wild your wild path to to where you're where you are now. It, it was still kind of wild for another couple of years. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, uh, I had two hundred dollars to my name at the time, um, and uh, I can't say who gave me the other two hundred dollars, but. Uh, <laughs> But somebody gave me two hundred dollars in an envelope and said, "Here, here's for your flight to to Charlotte. Um, go go make the most of it. Uh, I know you'll earn yourself a contract, and you can pay me back after that." Um, because I had gone to the Seattle Sounders Combine and the San Jose Combine, and I wasn't really even looked at. It was more just like a I wouldn't say petty invite, but it was just a invite just to to fill a number basically, um, and. I, I think in both those combines, I played probably 30 minutes in a potential two full games. Uh, so 30 minutes out of 180 um, possible. Uh, and so I really couldn't show myself because uh, I'm not that type, not that flashy player who's going to dribble by people, uh, stuff like that. So I really didn't show myself at all in, in those two combines. Uh, so I head to the Charlotte combine with, $200 um, for a flight, $200 for a hotel night and some food. Um, and I played in three combine games there, scored five goals. And that happened um, on a Thursday, Friday. And by Sunday, um, I had a contract offer from the Charlotte Eagles. That's crazy, man. Um, yeah. there, <laughs> there's a there's a couple things that, that jump out in my mind 
and and one of them is, is kind of fresh in my mind because I'm I'm helping a player right now kind of go through that process of going to you know USL combines and and things like that. And one of the struggles that we're running into is that you know these things cost money to to attend, mm-hmm. and you know it's like 150 or 200 bucks a pop, and then these guys got to take work off and travel and stay in a hotel if they want to be fresh and. I'm curious what what that process was like for you. You obviously said you know you're you were down to your last 200 bucks, but when you go to something like a Seattle Combine, you know you have to travel to get there, and and you only get to play 15, 30, you know, or 30 minutes, like you said. What does that uh-huh. do for what does that do for your mentality? Um, for me, that mentality. Um, I don't know if it's a different mentality than most guys have, but um, I looked at everyone around me, and uh, I looked and I said, look. I, I'm different than him. I'm better than him. I think I can do something better than he's doing now. Um, I just want that same opportunity. Um, I I want the 90 minutes that that guy got that he didn't take advantage of. I want um, the 45 minutes that this player got that he didn't take advantage of. So I was just sitting there waiting for an opportunity. At the Seattle Saunders combine, I played 30 minutes, and um, I chased down a ball that was played back to the goalie, and I stole it from the goalie, and I scored a goal. And I called my college coach, and I was like, oh, I thought I played really well. I only played 30 minutes in the whole combine, but, I mean, I scored a goal. Um, that's what hopefully they're looking for, somebody who can who can come in and score a goal um, no matter the time. But um, that that was the tough part because to the Seattle one and the San Jose one, the Seattle one was in Vegas, so I drove up um, to that one. And luckily, at the time, they put, they put players up in hotels. Um, the San Jose one, I drove up with – uh, one of my blue star teammates and I crashed on his couch in his hotel room. Um, but that's the tough part is, uh, nobody sees that, that sacrifice. And I think if I look back just at my Concordia team, there was three or four guys who I honestly thought could be pros, but they weren't willing to sacrifice that, that time to, um, take a chance on themselves. And I took a chance on myself because I, I didn't know any better. Um, I always thought if I take a chance on myself, somebody is going to like me, and all it takes is one person to like you to to propel you to the the next thing. And um, Mark Steffens, the coach of Charlotte, saw something in me um, that combine, and he's the one that that jump-started me. That's crazy, dude. And I like that you mentioned that nobody sees like that struggle or the sacrifice because it's so true. And it's really important, I think, now more than ever with the the landscape of youth soccer and the development academy and, and the kids, you know, the yeah. environment that they're in. It, it's I don't want to say that it's easy for them, but it's it's easier than it's ever been before, and it's more professional yeah, than it's think, ever been before. I, I just think that everyone wants the big contract right out of the, right out of the gate, um, and nobody's willing to say, you know what? Like, I'll be honest, my first contract was. Twelve hundred dollars a month for six months, and so yeah. So um, guys were like, "Well, I can make more staying at home and working." And I'm like, "Yeah, but then um, if I do well, then my next one will be bigger, and if I do well again, my next one will be bigger." So um, yeah, I played at Charlotte for twelve hundred bucks a month for for six months. Came came home. Um, I scored eight goals, and um, we lost in the finals. Um, and then I coached high school for, for three months, waited for <laughs> my next, my next opportunity to, to find a next contract. 
My next contract was eight months long um, in Minnesota. And after that, I finally got a, a, a long-term contract. So it took a six-month six month contract and an eight-month contract before I got um, a sustainable contract. And I think that's the sacrifice that guys who I grew up playing with weren't willing to take. They, they wanted the, the sustainable one right away, and um, I was in it for the long haul. And I think that's, that's the mentality that, that's gotten me here, that if I could pass anything on, um, to the youth is uh, don't play for the first contract because uh, that that's not the one that's going to make or break you. Oh, for sure, dude. That's that's super good advice. Uh, uh, something. Another question that kind of that comes to mind too is, you know, if you're if you're only signing contracts for for twelve hundred bucks and they're short term contracts and you're kind of bouncing around from team to team. Uh, I have to imagine that you're doing that, that you're probably doing that solo, like no agent, no, you're not paying anybody to kind of advise you at that point. Right. Um, so after my first year in Charlotte, um, I had an agent, but he was just basically helping me. Um, and told me he wouldn't, he wouldn't charge me. He doesn't need my 50 bucks a month, um, (laughs) from from a contract for, to help me. He sees it more as like once, once I get you a bigger contract, then we can talk sort of thing. Uh, in the end, that agent wasn't the one that I'm with now or that got me to where I'm at uh, because of different circumstances and misunderstandings of money in, in one aspect or another um, that was going on behind my back. But, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if an agent's after you uh, and is really – needing the 25, 50 bucks a month from you, um, or doesn't see you as a long-term investment. Um, I think that's, that's a red flag in itself. Um, because there's so many other people that can, uh, you can network yourself through, um, the amount of times that guys have contacted me, um, that have asked me for a phone number or, or an email and you just gladly pass it on because teams are always looking for players. So I think that network and the between the players is, is stronger early on um, than it would be if you just have an agent who you're handing 50 bucks a month to um, to start yourself off when realistically you're already needing that 50 bucks to, to continue to get by until that next bigger contract. Yeah, dude, 100%. And, and that's actually a, a theme that's it's it's been repeated multiple times on this podcast by male and female players in the start of their career. So you're you're kind of echoing the same the same good advice I think that that parents and and players need to hear. Um I want to I, I want to transition to to the you know, your time at Minnesota United and then obviously we need to get to your 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 time at LEFC. We got about 10 minutes left. So let's see what we can cram in. Um a question that that I had written down had to do with the transition from NASL to MLS and and what that was like on you as a player because nothing at that point I I have to assume is guaranteed. I mean you're you're going through a massive change of, you know, uh league to league and and you know everything that comes along with that. So what was what was that like for you as a as a player at that point? Um well it was I think it was different for me um, because I had made such such a mark in the NASL um, 
in my three years that uh, I had drawn attention from from abroad, more or less Mexico specifically, um, and I had I had several offers in Mexico, uh, so that was sort of uh, my mindset was after then I saw I'm going to go to Mexico and um, at some point I'll come back to the states and um, for whatever reason um, I ended up getting uh, a good contract at Minnesota and. Um, the transition I, I thought was was decently smooth. Um, uh, I've always I've always thought that my game is is based on who surrounded me um, because I, I'm such a selfless player with my movement, with my run, with how I work defensively for the team, um, the things that I sacrifice so that the playmakers around me have their freedom and their space. Um, and if I continue to get that service um, and I show them how selfless I am, they'll reward me with that service. Um, so that's what I tried to do when I transitioned into the MLS, and, and it paid off um, last year with guys like Kevin Molino, um, this year with Darwin, um, Miguel coming back. It, it, was, it was a smooth transition for me just because I was getting more service in more dangerous areas, and guys were finding my movement earlier. Um, so it, it was... It was a nice transition for myself. And then, you know, shortly thereafter, you transition again, and and now you're now you're in LA. And and I have kind of just a funny funny story to tell you is that I've been very fortunate to to strike up a pretty decent relationship with Bob, and him and I exchange text messages not regularly, but you know every so often and. And I had to look back and find it, but I but I did find it, and and him and I actually had a text message exchange about you while, while you were still at Minnesota, and huh. we we were talking about you know I think it was the upcoming national team camp and some guys that were in there, and and Bob had mentioned your name as somebody you know that that he felt should have been, or that that yeah he felt that that you should have been uh, absolutely called into to the January camp based on your your recent performances with Minnesota and you were on fire at the time and. When I saw that you were going to make the transition to LAFC, I was like, well, that makes absolute sense. Like Bob's had his eye on this guy for, you know, it seems quite a while. So it seems natural that, you know, he would he would want to bring you into the into the squad and uh, and, and bring you back home. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> just a, just a weird, just a, a funny coincidence and a funny story to, to throw into the podcast. But. What's it? What was it like having to, you know, make the decision to leave Minnesota, where obviously you found yourself as as a player? Like, dude, I don't know how many goals you scored, and and you became a star there, and then to to kind of leave that to to come back home. What what was the um, process like for that? So it was sort of a, a weird process. Um, I always, since the transition to MLS. Um, I, I mean, you can say throughout my career, I haven't really been the the prototype of forward that is accustomed to be successful in MLS. Um, not as athletic as some guys who have been successful here are. Um, like I said, I don't not flashy. I don't dribble by people, but somehow um, I find myself in situations scoring goals, um, and I wasn't really fitting the, the style of play that the coach in Minnesota wanted. Um, I battled through injuries, um, played through injuries and um, never complained about anything that, that was asked of me. Um, I would always do what was needed from the team. And uh, once once they signed a DP forward, 
Um, they said it was going to be a competition, and um, I was open to that. And I didn't. The first time that he was available, I, I didn't get off the bench uh, at all. Um, I wasn't subbed on, and uh, I just knew it, it was leaning towards that time. And I had heard my name in trade rumors. And once once that situation happened, um, uh, I knew it was my time to go. Um, as much as I didn't want to go because of how how much in my heart Minnesota meant to me and, and my family and um, where where the club uh, I thought was going, um, it, it, it really hurt. And I just in the whole trade talks, I never heard LAFC, so that was the big shock to me when when I heard you've been traded to LAFC. Uh, my whole world stopped because <laughs> I thought I was going to end up somewhere on on the East Coast or. Um, up north, uh, it was it was something special. When, when I when I found found out that it was LAFC, I, I couldn't have been more thankful uh, for Minnesota for, for doing doing that by me. Um, after all the years that I gave them, and, um, it really really counted in, in my part to to be honest and a good pro to them, and they repaid me for for that because um, I've heard that they that they had other offers that were probably a little bit better and. Um, they said that they wanted to do one well by me and send me back home. Dude, can I can I ask you an honest question? Did you have you had no idea where you were going to end up? Like you had no say in it at all? No, I, I had no say. Um, wow. Uh, it was well. If you ask for a trade, you you, you can't really control where you're going to go. Um, and I <laughs> and I knew that going in and. Um, once I heard my name and once I knew the situation that I was in now, um, as not the backup or a starter, I was third, third string, fourth string. I, I knew that, look, I, I'm going to request a trade and, um, this is going to suck. Uh, but, uh, I want to again, take a chance on myself wherever I go. If I ended up in Montreal or Philadelphia or, or DC United or somewhere, um, I don't know. I'm just throwing out names. Um, <laughs> but, uh, if I end up somewhere, I'm going to take a chance on myself to to prove myself again to that to that team, to that staff, and um, do well. And I think I landed here, thankfully. And um, I hopefully I've shown over my first three, four games that that I'm proving myself to this coaching staff and to Bob and um, to GM and to the ownership group that I can be a piece that that'll help take this team to to. A further level and uh, be here for the long term yeah man tell tell me i'm gonna maybe ask like just one or two more questions but i'm, I'm curious what the what the what the environment's like you know in this in this new world that you're that you've been dropped into at lafc what a uh, it's uh it's a lot different um it's a whole different system so i i've i've been doing a lot of studying on um what's required of forward in the system i i came in at a time where there was like three games in a week so i was really just thrown into the fire um i've been doing video with Ante Razov once or twice a week every week um, croatian <laughs> yeah uh, on on, cer- on certain things um so he's been a real helpful um piece and um the guys have, have really welcomed me um they've made it easy on me um the whole it, you come from a certain environment for so long that it's a refreshing feeling to come and um, 
the way that Bob wants to play, uh, the little things that he picks at, um, the amount that's required of, of me up top, or the certain movements um, that I've been naturally drawn to now, and maybe he doesn't want that, so I'm adjusting to that. And um, I think I saw that a little bit against the Galaxy. Uh, I wanted to. There was a little bit more that he wanted in certain areas that I thought he didn't want, um, and we talked it over the next couple of days, and um, now I'm having more of understanding of of what I need to do. Um, and uh, I, I'm a student. I'll, I'll never the day the day I retire is the day that I don't want to learn anymore. Um, and I watched nonstop film um, on this team and to to get me up to speed, and um, hopefully it continues to show. That's badass, man. I, 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 I've loved hearing you talk about your story. It sounds super genuine and authentic, and, and you're obviously passionate about, you know, succeeding in this. Not just, not just performing, but like you can tell that, that, that you want to succeed. And I think that's, I think that's rare, and I think that's special, and, and it's exciting to hear you talk about it. Yeah. Um, uh, hopefully, it inspires somebody, somebody um, that's in the same path. Yeah, dude. Well, hopefully, hopefully your kid. And, and I think that, you know, one, one little tidbit to kind of throw in there is that your wife is a baller too. It's like, she, <laughs> she's got a, she's got a good, a good career behind her. It fun, just one, one, one last funny story. So I took a C course recently and the instructor of the C course was actually Val's, um, college coach at Santiago. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, so, uh, one of Val's teammates was actually in the course too. And so one of the nights we went back and she was showing us like old highlight videos. It was, uh, it was her and Val just that like the two forward, just goals, 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 goals. It was nuts. So yeah, she, she, was, she was pretty good back in her day. Yeah. She's a baller. Um, all right, dude. Well, is there anything that, that you feel like you wanted to talk about or, or that we didn't get to or a message that you want to get out to everybody uh, before before we sign off? Uh, no, I'm good if you're good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. All good. I appreciate you making time and, and good luck this weekend with your game, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast and a big thank you to the guest on today's show, Christian Ramirez. If you liked this podcast and you'd like to find more episodes like this one or others, you can find all of that at 343coaching.com. So numbers 343coaching, all spelled out, dot com. And that is also where you can find out more about the 343 coaching education program, which is the program that helps to support and fund this podcast. I've been through the program thousands of other coaches have already been through the program so your turn now take advantage of your head start head over to 343coaching.com and check out what we offer here is a little blurb from tom buyer it's a name you might be familiar with tom actually went through and signed up for one of our courses and he sent us a little note about his experience doing that and i can tell you after someone who's done a lot of coaches education both as a student as an instructor that you will learn more by watching one or two of their videos that you might learn on any full-time course. Because the, the one thing that I like about what they're presenting is, again, it's simplicity, man. It's very simple. It's not a lot of, you know, complicated words. It makes sense. 
and it goes right directly to the heart of, of, of the game on, on, on how, to, how to develop um, not just you know, individual players, but develop teams as well. Once again, if you would like to find more information about the 343 Coaching Education Program, you can find all of that at 343coaching.com. That's the numbers 343coaching, all spelled out, dot com. All right. We will catch you guys next time here on the 343 Podcast.